Today's scripture reading is Romans 15, 14 through 24. If you're using a Blue Pew Bible, the passage can be found on the bottom of page 949. Again, that's Romans 15, 14 through 24. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come see you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning to hear your word preached. We recognize that we are a people who are saved by grace, through faith, and that we are a people of your word. May you help us to see how we might be able to not only learn your truth this morning, but also how we might be able to apply it in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So during my early years in college, I had this question I always wondered why God would allow so many to perish because they haven't had the opportunity to hear the gospel. It seemed unfair that people in places like Africa or Asia would be condemned to hell. I mean, it's one thing to hear the gospel and say, no thanks, versus those who live on some remote island without any opportunity to hear the gospel. And this thought troubled me because God seemed biased that he would save those who had a chance to hear the gospel while allowing those who had no opportunity to perish. Now, again, many in the world have not had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And per the website Joshua Project, 42.5 of the world's population remains unreached. People who have not had the opportunity to hear 
the gospel. And many of these people live in an area that we call the 1040 window. So if you look at a globe of the world, there are two types of lines. There are the first set of lines that go from north to south, and these are longitudinal lines. And then there are lines that go east to west, and these are called latitudinal lines. And the 1040 window refers to the region between the latitude 10 and the latitudinal line 40. And so this region contains places like Northern Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. And many of you who have been at this church for a while have probably heard of this region. But have you guys heard of the porthole within the 1040 window? The porthole within the 1040 window is where there is the greatest concentration of unreached within that area. And this porthole would actually cover over the area of Southeast Asia. Now, why would I say that? Well, think about population. Which country has the largest population in the world? China. And which country has the second largest population in the world? India. And both of those countries are in that region of Asia. Now, which country has the largest Muslim population in the world? Now, you may be tempted to say a country located in the Middle East or North Africa, but it's actually the country of Indonesia. And it's also in the area of Southeast Asia. Now, if you were to call out all the major non-Christian faiths, what would they be? Uh, oftentimes, I use the acronym THUMB to help me remember, T-H-U-M-B, Tribal, Hindu, Unreligious, Muslims, Buddhist. And the largest percentage of Hindus live in India. One of the largest Buddhist nations is Thailand, also in Southeast Asia. And all these worldviews, Tribal, Hindu, Unreligious, Buddhist, Muslim, they are all found in that region of Southeast Asia. And though there are a lot of unreached people in the world, a majority of them are located in Southeast Asia. So obviously there are a lot of unreached in the world. And so how did I eventually resolve the question, why does God allow so many to perish without giving them an opportunity to hear the gospel? So during college, I had the opportunity to take perspectives at a local church. And I learned in that class that God was a missionary God, that he desired people from all nations to come to know him. And to make himself known, he used the nation of Israel. But when Israel failed in its witness to the world, he sent them into exile. And Jesus came to witness to the nations. And after his death, resurrection, and ascension, he entrusted that task to his followers, the church. And so how does God plan to reach these unreached people in the world, these people who have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel? This is the church. Now, why are we talking so much about reaching the unreached? And it's because this morning we're considering this question, how does a mission-minded church engage in the task of reaching the unreached? Now, you may be thinking, well, I thought our sermon series is actually talking about different aspects of our vision. And our vision is to be an urban Chinese heritage church that reaches all those in our lives, Chinese or otherwise, in central Houston through equipping, sending, and church planting. But then if you're listening carefully, you may say, 
But there's nothing in that statement that talks about reaching out to the unreached. And specifically, there is not even the word missions in that statement. And it's because all those things are hidden in the word send. And to fulfill the vision of our church, we aspire to send workers into these harvest fields of unreached people in the world to share the gospel and establish churches. But how do we do this? How does a mission-minded church actually participate in this task? How does a mission-minded church engage in the task of reaching the unreached? Now, to answer this question, we'll turn to the writings of an early missionary, pastor, and apostle, Paul. And we'll look specifically at his letter to the Roman church. So we'll be in Romans chapter 15, if you haven't turned there already. Romans chapter 15. Uh, thank you, Dina, for reading this morning's passage. Appreciate it. Now, some people describe Paul's letter to the Romans as a support letter. He writes to the Roman church to prepare for his visit. And after spending some time with them, Paul expected this church to send him off to do ministry in Spain. But the letter also addresses an issue within the church. The Gentiles, as well as the Jews within the church, had a little bit of trouble getting along. And he explained how the gospel would transform how they interacted with each other. And if they believed in this same gospel that's able to transform relationships then he anticipated their support. Now, we'll be in the later half of this letter in Romans chapter 15. And in this morning's passage, we'll be answering three questions. First, what is the task of the church? What is the job of the church? And then the second question we're going to ask, answer, is what does a mission-minded church recognize? What is a mission-minded church aware of? And then lastly, how does a mission-minded church engage in the unfinished task? What does a mission-minded church do to work on the unfinished task? So let's tackle the first question. What is the task of the church? What is the job of the church? Well, the task of the church is to make disciples, that the church has the responsibility of helping people become followers of Christ. And we not only have the responsibility to share the gospel to the lost, but also to help believers to grow in Christ-likeness, that the task of the church is to make disciples. And we see this lived out in the life of Paul, that Paul devoted his entire life to make disciples specifically among the Gentiles. And although Paul was a Jew, he spent most of his life sharing the gospel with non-Jews. One might say that this was his God-given task. I mean, even at his conversion, God told Ananias that Paul would be his chosen instrument to carry out the gospel to the Gentiles. And he repeats this point and alludes to it in the first few verses in our passage this morning. Look at verse 14. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. 
Since Paul recognized that his role was to make disciples of Christ among the Gentiles, he had to remind the Gentiles, specifically here in the Roman church, of certain gospel truths as well as the Jews. And he highlights that unique role in verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. And the Roman church needed to be reminded of certain aspects of the gospel. This is why he writes earlier in verse 15. He writes this, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Well, then this prompts us to ask the question, well, what did Paul need to remind the Romans about? What, what did the Roman church need to remember? What are the points of the gospel that Paul wanted to highlight boldly? And if you read through the letter to the Romans, you'll see two themes. Uh, first is Paul reminded the Roman church of how the gospel provided salvation for both Jew and Gentile. Now, yes, the Jews had the Mosaic law, but they were still lost in sin. The Gentiles didn't have the law, but they were lost in sin too because they worshipped creation rather than the creator. The Gentiles broke the law that was written in their hearts. And both groups of people had sinned and were under God's wrath. But God also saves both groups through grace, by faith. Just as Abraham was justified by faith, both Jew and Gentile would be justified by faith in Christ's work. And then Paul goes on to explain how their identity changed from being under the authority of sin to being under the authority of God. That the Jews were not any better than the Gentiles because they had the law. Because again, both Jew and Gentiles were saved by grace through faith. And discipleship, growing in Christ's likeness, begins when a person realizes that they are saved by grace through faith. So that's the first idea. That the gospel offers salvation to both Jew and Gentile. And the second idea that Paul highlights in the letter of Romans is this idea of transformation. That Paul reminds the Roman church of how the gospel ought to transform the way that they live. That instead of offering sacrifices at the temple, they would offer their transformed lives as a sacrifice to God. And Paul alludes to this in the latter half of verse 16. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This means that the followers of Christ live under the authority of the Holy Spirit rather than their selfish desires. If Paul's aspiration was to make disciples among the Gentiles, then it should be our desire as well. That as a church, it should be our goal, our desire, aspiration, our hope to make disciples. That's why the vision statement states of our church to reach all those in our life, Chinese or otherwise. That we are to continue to make disciples among whoever God brings into our lives. So we have to share the gospel with the lost. This requires us to spend time with the lost. It could be with our lost coworkers. It could be with our classmates. It could be with unbelieving parents at your child's baseball game. It could be the loss that you see at the local gym when you work out. That to share the gospel with the lost means spending time with them. And as you spend time with them, you look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. 
Now, making disciples means evangelism, but it also means walking with other believers, that we are to encourage them to grow in Christ-likeness. And Jonathan covered this idea of discipling others in a previous message so that they would be self-replicating disciples, that what you have learned in your faith, you pass on to others so that they can pass it on to others. Now, you may be wondering, why are we wasting our time talking about things that we already know? Well, I guess if Paul could write things in way of reminder, then I could remind as well. Now, you may have been wondering, if the task is to make disciples, then what does this have to do with reaching the unreached? Well, this brings us then to the second question. What does a mission-minded church recognize? What is a mission-minded church aware of? A mission-minded church recognizes that the task is unfinished because unreached people exist. That a church who cares about missions understand that there are unreached people out there that need to hear about the gospel. That a mission-minded church is aware of the need to take the gospel to the unreached. A mission-minded church recognizes that the task of making disciples is unfinished because unreached people exist out there. Now, all churches may be carrying out the task of making disciples, but not all churches are mission-minded. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, to answer this question, it requires us to understand what the word mission means. Now, the word missions has been a buzzword to describe all kinds of things. Missions is working with the marginalized in our city. It's about feeding those who do not have sufficient food. It could be when you leave the parking lot of our church and you turn right onto Main Street, there is this faded sign that says, you are entering into the mission field. That is the mission field, the underpass of 610. I mean, some people even called your mission field your workplace or your school. It seems like every type of Christian ministry could have that adjective, missional. And while I understand the sentiment that we should be on mission, but when I use the word mission this morning, I'm referring to the task of proclaiming the gospel to an unreached people group with a different culture than you, to establish churches there that will evangelize those within that culture and disciple them so that they too would be able to send out missionaries. So that means the word missions, in the context of this morning's message, it includes a cross-cultural component. To do missions requires a believer to cross cultures to share the gospel. So this means that a mission-minded church thinks about how it will take the gospel to a people group who have a different set of worldviews according to a different culture. But then what would make a people group unreached? Now, there are many definitions for an unreached people group, but here is one from a group of mission leaders. An unreached people group refers to a people group within which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians to evangelize this people group. That the primary element that defines whether or not a people group is unreached is if there is a healthy church there evangelizing the lost. And the unfinished task then refers to making disciples among these unreached people groups so that there would be an indigenous community of Christians, that is the church, that would be able to share the gospel with members of their people group. Now, Paul recognized this task of taking the gospel to unreached people groups. 
Because although Paul had planted all these strategic churches in east, the eastern part of the Roman Empire, he still knew, and he still knew, that the West remained unreached. And we see Paul reflecting on this idea of church planting work in Romans, specifically in our chapter, in our text that we're studying this morning, that he recalls his successful church ministry in the eastern part of the empire, and we see this in verse 18. This is where he recalls the ministry that he did there. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyric, Illyric, oh man, we're tight. I got it. I have it in my mind. Illyricra, okay. You can read it yourself. For some reason, I had it this morning, and I can't say it now. Okay, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So we see that from this area in Jerusalem where the church started, he actually planted churches there and moved westward. And so as he moved westward, he preached the gospel among these different communities like Philippi, Thessalonica, and Ephesus to show what a life transformed by the gospel will look like. And he also did miraculous works such as casting out evil spirits. I mean, he even healed the lame. And he did all of this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he uses these two locations, Jerusalem, where the church began the day of Pentecost. And then he talks about this area, which I had a hard time pronouncing, that is northwest of Greece, that in this area, this is where all these churches start to arise. Now, in the end of the section I just read, Paul says that he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ in this area. So does that mean everyone in this region of the eastern part had been evangelized? That'd be really odd audacious to really say that, but it's actually more accurate to say that Paul had planted churches with faithful leaders who would continue the task of sharing the gospel with the lost in those regions, that they were strategic churches planted in that eastern part of the empire that would continue the evangelizing work. And then Paul sets his sight to the place where there are no churches. He reveals his ambition to plant churches where no Christians, no churches exist. Look at verse 20. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, Paul bases his ambition, his desire to preach the gospel where there is no gospel witness from the book of Isaiah. If you look at the reference from verse 21, it's referring to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 12. And Isaiah chapter 52 is a servant song, talking about how the servant king will die for the transgressions of man, and this news would then be taken to the nations. And Paul sees himself as fulfilling this prophetic text by going to places where there is no gospel witness. Now, he recognizes that the task of reaching the unreached remains unfinished, and this prompts him to engage and to work in this task. Now, the task of taking the gospel to the unreached remains even today. I mean, there are over 7,000 people groups in the world that lack a gospel witness. If there, 
if we are to be a mission-minded church, then we need to recognize the unfinished task of taking the gospel to these places, to these people. This means that we need to learn about the unfinished task of reaching the unreached. But then how would we actually learn about this task? Well, when missionaries return from their assignment overseas and they come home for home assignments, then attend their sharing. Hear about the work that they're doing among their people group, especially if they are unreached. Invite these missionaries to come to your small group or to your fellowship gathering so that they can share about the work that they are doing. You can utilize websites such as Joshua Project or Operation World to learn more about unreached people groups. I mean, if there's even the opportunity, you might even want to consider taking the perspectives course. It's because the leaders of our church hope that all the members of HCC would know of the unfinished task of reaching the unreached. Now the question then, is it just enough to learn about the unreached, to learn where they're located, who they might be, to put a face to the name? Is it enough to recognize the importance of this task? No. And that brings us to the last question. How does a mission-minded church then engage in the unfinished task? What might we be able to do to support the work of bringing the gospel to the unreached? A mission-minded church engaged in the unfinished task, a mission-minded church that thinks about this unfinished task, what do they do? They support the work to the unreached that they have a focus of reaching the unreached by finding ways to support the work that is going on there. They look for opportunities to invest their time, their resources, prayer to this task of seeing the unreached reach. A mission-minded church engages in the unfinished task by supporting work to the unreached. And we see that Paul will ask for the support of the Roman church in this morning's passage. He requests that the Roman church support his work to the unreached in Spain. Uh, look at verse 22. It says this, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped in my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. That Paul intended to go to Spain through Rome earlier, but ministry in the East preoccupied his time. Maybe it was the issue of circumcision that required him to go to Jerusalem to attend a council meeting. I mean, it might have been the imprisonments, the shipwrecks, the beatings that caused him to delay. But Paul still had this aspiration, this intention, this desire to go to Spain through Rome. Now, note Paul's expectation when he comes to the church in Rome. He hopes to receive help. Uh, look at verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, the word help here in Greek is often used in the context of receiving material help, such as food shelter, or finances. So Paul is not very subtle in citing his expectation to receive help from the Roman church so that he could go minister eventually in Spain. But, but before receiving this support, but before receiving this help, he expects to spend some time with them. That's why at the later half of verse 24, it says, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. That Paul understands 
the importance of relationship before receiving support. What does that mean for us as a church? Well, one aspect of our vision is to plant out sustainable churches. This means that we continue to evangelize the city of Houston through church planting. But we also hope to be part of the work of establishing healthy churches within unreached people groups. This means participating in that type of work. And this is work that we are already doing. Uh, for instance, we have missionaries serving in different areas of the world. We think of the who serve in Thailand, seeking to establish a church there to reach the lost. We think of who are thinking of also going to Thailand to reach the lost there. We also have a sister who's thinking about possibly going to Indonesia to reach the unreached there as well. We have missionaries who are already on the field, like who are helping to prepare people who are going into these unreached fields to share the gospel as well. So this is a work that we are already doing, but how do we continue to support the work? How do we continue to send them well? Now, to help with this, let me read something that a missionary that Josephine and I support wrote in their support letter. She provided different ways that we can support a missionary. In fact, she listed almost 10 of them. I think 10 things that we could do to support a missionary. First, email with follow-up questions from newsletters. And she puts an emphasis, you won't be bothering us. I'm sure that many of us in our email inboxes re receive support letters from missionaries. But do we actually respond back to them by following up with questions about how they are doing in their lives? So that's number one. Number two, e-cards or video message for any holiday, birthday, anniversary. And she puts in emphasis, Christmas cards. That we would send missionaries notification, such as cards, to say we're thinking about them. Okay, so third thing, download a messaging app to easily stay in touch. There are so many ways to message now. WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram that you can still keep in touch with missionaries through messaging. I think it's interesting she did not put group me in that parentheses. Um, but anyway, and then number four, we have stay in touch by telling us what you're up to. Send pictures of you, your kids, your kitty, your painting project, etc., so that people want, that these missionaries on the field might see what you are up to even here in the States. Number five, Pray for us, and then tell us you did or what you prayed for. That's easy for us to say, we are praying for you, but when you are praying for them specifically, maybe on Monday or Tuesday, send them an email saying that you prayed for them about this specific issue. Number six, give a book you thought that was meaningful, or a movie that you liked for a family movie night, or a worship song or album that you love through the internet, that you can send this download now through Amazon. Number seven, Tell your friends about our ministry. Tell other people about the ministry that's happening amongst these unreached people. Number eight, ask good intentional questions. Check in on us. And she puts an emphasis, missionaries need to be checked on too. And then maybe especially. And number nine, share what God is doing in your life or a Bible passage that he's used in your life recently. And then number 10, lastly, come for a visit that maybe instead of going on vacation, we might actually plan to go to where a missionary that we are supporting is serving. 
to visit them, to spend time with them. And so maybe you can think of one thing from this list that you might be able to do for a missionary that you know this week. And I'm sure not only would they be surprised, but they'll appreciate it. So this morning, we took some time to think about how a mission-minded church would engage in the unfinished task of reaching the unreached. First, we have to understand the task of the church, make disciples. Second, we have to recognize the unfinished task, that there are unreached people that exist and they need to hear the gospel. And third, how do we engage in this unfinished task of reaching the unreached? We have to support that work. We support the work to the unreached. Now, to close this morning's message, I wanted to share with you something that a missionary, J.O. Fraser, wrote to his supporters back home. Now, J.O. Fraser served as a pioneer missionary with OMF to the Lisu people, uh, which is an ethnic minority group in southwest China. And so let me read what he wrote. He writes this, they, referring to the Lisu, have not yet grown to military age in the spiritual warfare. They are babes in God's nursery, not warriors in God's army. But you, referring to his supporters back home in the UK, have centuries of Christianity behind you. You have had Christian education, Christian influence, an open Bible, devotional helps, and many other things to help you in your growth to spiritual maturity. So put in common day vernacular or everyday language, you have Bible Gateway, you have Gospel Coalition, you have Christianity Today, you have DesiringGod.org, you have podcasts, you have all these things that will help you spiritually grow. So now you belong to those of full stature in Christ who are able to help with power against the enemy. The vast difference between you, referring to the churches back home, and them, the Lisu, is that you are grown up in Christ, while they are babes and sucklings. And the work of pulling down Satan's strongholds requires strong men, not infants. And then he goes on with the ass. This is the request. I am trying to roll the main responsibility of this prayer warfare on you. I want you, referring to his churches back home, to take the burden of these people upon your shoulders. I want you to wrestle with God for them. That his ask is that the church back home not be unengaged in reaching the unreached, but they would actually pray. They would pray for the Lisu to hear the gospel. And because of J.O. Fraser's faithful work, as well as the prayers of people back home, many Lisu came to faith in Christ. In fact, it is said on the Joshua Project that 45% of the Lisu people are evangelical Christian. And that they are a people group that have not only an established church, but they are sending out missionaries to the surrounding area. And so again, Fraser would contend that it wasn't just through his work and presence alone that resulted in people amongst the Lisu people group that turned to faith in Christ, it required the support of people back home, people who were praying for him, financially supporting him. And may the Lord help us as a church to engage in this unfinished task to take the gospel to the unreached. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you have called us out of darkness and into your light. But we recognize that there are still many people groups out there in the world who have still yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for those who have gone out from our midst to go into these fields. And we pray that you would continue to raise up workers to go to these areas, to go to these people groups, and that we as a church would be able to support this work through prayer, through financial giving, and even through hospitality when missionaries come home and that we might be able to send them out well. We pray that you would help us to do this by the power of your spirit, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.